The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Before we begin, a reminder that if you need any information regarding the Law Report, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Law on SAFM. But if you'd still like to contact me directly, you can email me at law at safm.co.za. Well, I'm joined this evening by Michael Bagram, Practicing Managing Partner at Bagram's Attorneys Labor Law Specialists. Michael, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Hi, good evening. Thank you for having me. I always appreciate being here. Thank you very much. Well, we won't be taking calls this evening and instead we'll be discussing disciplinary hearings. So stay tuned for lots of helpful information. Thank you. Yes, it's, a, it's an incredibly important topic because we get calls at Bagram's Attorneys on a daily basis from people phoning us to say that they need to conduct a disciplinary hearing, they don't know where to start, and from others who are employees who are saying they're faced with a notice to attend a disciplinary hearing, they don't know how to start beginning to even try and defend themselves. So it's important for both sides of the picture, both for employer and for employee, to understand how disciplinary hearings work. The disciplinary hearings themselves are governed normally in-house at the various companies or employers. They have disciplinary codes. Most companies today have disciplinary codes. And it's important for every employee and for every manager, everyone that controls staff, to read that disciplinary code carefully because that becomes the blueprint, the Bible as it were, for how to conduct disciplinary hearings. You can't ask people to leave a firm or an employer can't ask people to leave for any reason other than discipline, if they need to be disciplined, if they're not being able to do their work in some way or other, which is also some sort of disciplinary hearing, we can discuss that, or retrenchment, which is dismissal for operational requirements, or obviously if the person is um, going, if the company is going insolvent, that would then be a provisionally uh, operation requirements as well and obviously if someone is retiring for old age or that they're incapable of doing their work so there'd have to be a good reason there's always a good reason for a person to go and you've got to be able to prove that good reason in other words it's the employer who has the onus the duty to show a good reason so that's the first thing but what we're trying to concentrate on tonight is the how. How do you ask a person to leave? Let's for one minute just cast our minds and have a look at someone who's been naughty. Someone who, for instance, has stolen the petty cash or has hit another employee or said something terrible on Facebook about their employer. Those are disciplinary reasons that you would then have to have a proper process, a procedure that the company has to follow, company or the employer, has to follow before that person can be advised that they've been dismissed. There are very few examples where people can get away with not having some sort of procedure in asking someone to leave. Obviously, if someone who's disappeared, in other words, they've gone on AWOL, away without leave, and they don't come back. It's very difficult then to conduct a disciplinary hearing, although in most cases I say to people, wait until that person pitches up one day, and when they do, then you'll have a disciplinary hearing and if the chairperson feels that they've been away for no good reason, then you would have that disciplinary hearing, the chairperson would then recommend dismissal. If somebody does do that, is it mandatory for them to pay that person while they're not there or how does that work? 
No, only if you're going to suspend someone, and we haven't got there yet, but when you're going to suspend someone, you normally suspend them on full pay pending the outcome of that disciplinary hearing. The only people who don't do that are the police, but they've got their own internal rules and regulations where they can suspend on no pay. It's a type of a punishment. But let's go back to that naughty individual, the person who is now facing this disciplinary hearing. They've done something wrong or they've been alleged to have done something wrong. There's a process that you need to follow and as an employee you need to watch very carefully that your employer is doing this. If they're not, then you need to make notes for yourself so that when in turn you're going to challenge this dismissal, if there's going to finally be one, if you're going to challenge that, then you need to be able to know what your rights are and what the duties of your employer were to ensure that they followed the proper procedure. So the first thing is, Let's use an, an, an example, and it's an example we've just had in our attorney's firm, where someone has put a really bad statement out on Facebook. She puts this bad statement out on Facebook, and she defames the management of the company. She says that she, when she put it on Facebook, she thought it was a closed Facebook group. That in fact, she put it on an open Facebook group. So not only did fellow employees see this in the company, but the management saw it, and unfortunately, one of the employees then went and spread it. Now, she faces the wrath of the company, and what do they do? And it's a simple process that they had to follow, but they followed their internal disciplinary code. If there isn't an internal disciplinary code, we've spoken many times on this program about the Labor Relations Act. There's the schedule, Schedule 8 to the Labor Relations Act, which then also gives you a code as to how to run these disciplinary hearings. So the first thing that happens to her is that she's called in by management, normally two people, because you want at least one person to be a witness to the other that does the talking. The two people call her in, and they conduct a discussion with that person prior to suspending them and prior to making a decision that they're going to actually run a disciplinary hearing. And they say to her, we have picked up these statements on the Facebook, this is what they are. We've printed them out. We've had them transcribed. Would you have a look at them? First of all, tell us whether it was you on your Facebook. Second of all, tell us why did you do that. And third of all, give us reasons as to why we should not suspend you from the company on full pay pending the outcome of a disciplinary hearing. She then conducts a mini defense by saying this was supposed to be private. Yes, it was me, and I did it in a fit of pique because I was very angry that I was abused that afternoon in a meeting. So there's a defense. First of all, it's private, then a fit of pique because she was abused in a meeting, and finally she says, I'm going to apologize. So now we've got three legs of her defense. They hear that, they internalize it, the management internalizes it, and then what they do is they say, we've heard you, we know the allegation, we've seen the posting, we've heard your defense, we believe that it warrants a disciplinary hearing. Then they give her a letter saying, further to our discussion that we've had with you this afternoon, and further to our investigation into the alleged offense, we believe that this warrants a proper hearing. And they give her a letter confirming that, and confirming that she's on full pay pending the outcome of a disciplinary hearing. So that's the first step. 
She then goes home and she obviously would be wise at that point to start collecting evidence, to exploring her own settings on the Facebook to see why it was open, to exploring the defense that she's going to raise about the fit of peak that she was angry. She could even go to a psychologist who could tell that she wasn't in her right mind when she put it on the internet and also to starting to say, well, I did offer to apologize and this is what I would have done or this is what I want to do. So that's how she prepares herself for that. She is told in that hearing, and this is prior to the disciplinary hearing, this is the hearing where they're going to investigate the suspension, we call it the suspension hearing, she would be advised not to contact any of the staff so that she would interfere with witnesses and she'd be advised not to contact any of the customers or clients that they deal with so that she doesn't interfere with them and she would be advised not to interfere with any of the evidence that they've got to tamper the evidence that they might have and invariably they then tell her that if she wants to contact anyone to prepare herself for her defense she would do it through Mr. Joe Soap. Just they choose a person in the management that she would do that with. So, so far we've got a suspension of someone on full pay. The next step is, and you don't can't wait too long, unfortunately government is often guilty of waiting too long because once a person is suspended, you should actually then act quite quickly to give them their notification to attend the disciplinary hearing. Now, I remember on one of these programs we, we discussed, Corin, the um, teacher, the school teacher that came to see us, and she had been suspended for just over three years. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and... She was getting tired of sitting at home. She, she was wanted to go back to work. And she was getting her salary every mm. month religiously and getting her increases and getting her bonuses and everything else. And she came to see me because she wanted to go back to work. So, unfortunately, you can't have that. And you never find that in the private sector. Very seldom do you find that in the private sector because it means you're paying someone to sit for at home. For doing nothing. So that normally doesn't happen, but you also can't, sometimes it happens in the private sector that they let a person sit at home for two or three months to let them dry out, as it were. Um, that's also not fair. There's an old saying that where they teach you in law school is justice delayed is justice denied. denied. And it's so true because I have many people coming to me saying that I've been waiting for two months for this disciplinary hearing. I'm going cuckoo. Is I'm there waiting. is there a time that it's too short there to do it? I mean, yeah. is it like you have to you can't do it before two or three weeks or something? Or no, no, there's no, 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 time no, no limit there's no time. There's no time limit at all. The only limit that we do see, in terms of the practice, in terms of Schedule Eight of the Labor Relations Act, is that you must give a person at least two days, two clear days, working days notice, to attend a disciplinary hearing. I, I like to give a person a little bit more time than that so they can prepare themselves. And normally a rule of thumb is if management's going to take three days or four days to get the notification properly drawn up, then you should at least give the employee a, a bit of time to go away and think about mm. what he or she had done wrong and getting defense together. So then what happens is management go away and they then put together a notification to attend a disciplinary hearing. It's like the summons, as it were. And in this notification, it's got to be reasonably clear. You've got to do the following things in the notification to attend. First of all, it must be in writing, so there's no argument about it. And second of all, it must be, you must have proof that you've actually delivered it to the person who's going to appear at the disciplinary hearing. You can't, for instance, stick it on their door with a drawing pen and then run away and to do a talk talkie and knock on their door and run away. I've had examples of that as well where the employee never actually got the document. And then they don't come and then they have it in their absence. It's, it's a bit of a disaster. So normally what you do, again, 
you either send it by registered post and then you wait two days for it to have gone through the registered post and then you if your person got email you email it to them if they got fax you fax it to them if you know where they live and you can get to them quite easily it's much better to even hand deliver it or you can phone a person and ask them to come in and fetch the notification to attend the disciplinary hearing and as I said it must be in writing and there must be certain things that are contained in it and let's go through what must be contained in the notification to attend the disciplinary hearing first of all you have to have the person's name their ID number you should have their staff number you should have and what their position is you should have that so there's no confusion as to who we're dealing with remember these documents are going to be used at a later stage if the employee challenges this dismissal and so we've got the first document and that is the document of the letter inviting a person to the suspension hearing the second document is the minutes of the suspension hearing the third document is the letter suspending the person. The fourth document is the notification to attend the disciplinary hearing. And we're discussing that right now. What's got to be in it? And as I said to you, the name, the rank, the number, the staff number, sometimes their ID number, that sort of thing. Hopefully their home address in it as well. And then you have to describe with sufficient clarity what they have alleged to have done. You can't say you come to work late. That leaves you high and dry. Obviously what the employee is going to say, when, what time, what date, how late, what are you talking about? Was I one minute late on the morning of the 15th of March? If the traffic in Cape Town recently has been anything to go by, it could yeah. have been something like that. So you've got to have clarity. Mm. You've got to be able to say that on the 7th of March, you came to work 20 minutes late. On the 9th of March, you then came to work an hour and a half late. That sort of, there's got to be clarity, sufficient clarity, and I'll tell you why just now, and you'll understand that there's got to be clarity, because they're going to come to Michael Bagram and they're going to say, please, attack this notification to attend the disciplinary hearing, and then I'm going to do it to them with great gusto. So, you got that. You got an outline of what they have alleged to have, been, have done wrong. And then you must also try and outline in that notification to attend the disciplinary hearing certain things that outline their rights and duties. So there's no argument afterwards, why didn't you tell me? You tell a person you are entitled to bring whatever documentary evidence you want to bring. You are entitled to bring whatever witnesses you want to bring. You are entitled to cross-examine the company's witnesses. You are entitled to get more clarity if you need more clarity. Those sort of things should be there. And they should be properly outlined as well in that disciplinary hearing. Often companies say that you're entitled to another staff member to come in and represent you. Or if you're a member of a trade union, you can be represented by a shop steward. Or if you are a shop steward, and that's another issue we need to discuss, then you can bring the trade union in, the trade union official. Alerted. There's a big alerted issue over here. If you are in fact a shop steward, the company first has to alert the trade union that we're going to take disciplinary action against your shop steward and we need to discuss it with you. And so there is a, a caveat in the law that if that person is a shop steward, they have more rights than the normal employee and those rights are then stretched to your necessity to deal with the trade union and explain to the trade union that this is your shop steward, this is our problem, this is why we want to suspend them, this is why we want to bring them to a disciplinary hearing and this is what the allegation is. So that the union, 
then can talk to you even before the official process. Because invariably that threatens a relationship because this is the leader of the trade union in this workplace. And it threatens the relationship. So there's some very big values in trying to manage this situation because often those lead to strikes and to people being violent at the workplace. So you need to very carefully handle that. You've got to walk on eggshells when a shop steward is being disciplined. We've just seen it recently with a whole group of shop stewards who were disciplined at Robben Island, for instance, and it led to a massive strike there. Uh, so that was a problem, and you need to handle the union with kit gloves at that point because this is their leadership. So you would get this notification to attend a disciplinary hearing that becomes an all-encompassing all document that teaches you everything that you have in terms of rights at the disciplinary hearing and it then tell all the duties that management have. Normally in that notification, you also have one or two interesting factors that could possibly be argued afterwards, but rather have it in the notification. And I always put in saying that you must treat it seriously. It could lead to your dismissal, because it's a serious charge. If you are recommended to be dismissed, then you have a chance to appeal, and we can discuss appeals as well, or you must refer it to the Commission for Conciliation, Mediation and Arbitration within 30 days after the recommendation, or of course to a bargaining council if the company belongs to a bargaining council. So you need to alert them as to the path that they need to take, because invariably when people are referred late to the CCMA or late to a bargaining council, they can't raise the point that they didn't know they had to go there or they didn't know they had to appeal, rather put it in the notification so it's there. And many companies, I know that those that use us as their attorneys, come to us and say, give us a template. Tell, set up for us a proper template, which is a notification to attend a disciplinary hearing, so that they then adapt it for each and every single case. So that they don't forget, say, for instance, to tell some employee that you're entitled to bring an, a fellow employee to come and represent you. Then that employer afterwards will say, but no one told me. Mm. How am I supposed to know? And you can't then say, oh, well, you were supposed to read the, the, the disciplinary processes in the company. Many employees don't go and read those disciplinary processes. So rather processes. the employer cover themselves by putting it all Absolutely. in that document at the time. And what we've done at Background Attorneys, we've got a template that we've designed for various companies. And they have that and they use it for every single employee. And it covers all the eventualities that we're discussing tonight. So there's no arguments afterwards because, for instance, tomorrow morning I know I'm going to the CCMA and I'm going to argue a case where the employee said, I know I'm 69 days late for referring it to the CCMA, but no one told me I must. And immediately that case will fall apart when I give the hand in the notification to attend the disciplinary it hearing, says. where it says that you've got 30 days to refer it to the CCMA. And if you're having difficulty trying to get the forms to the CCMA, then come and ask us and we will give you the forms. So we've I'd also got in the company files the LRA 7.11 form. So that we give it to employees and we say, here you are, because in that particular company, we don't have an appeal process. So now we've got an employee who's gone through the suspension, gone through the notification to attend the disciplinary hearing, and then what's the next step? The next step is you've got a time, date, and place for that disciplinary hearing. And obviously, it's got to be within the working hours. As if that person was working, you'd have it in the working hours. In other words, if I'm a 9 to 5 employee, you can't set a disciplinary hearing for one evening at 8 o'clock. That wouldn't be acceptable either, and you find some companies are 
naughty and do that as well. Once you've got that, the employee will then read this notification and they need, like I said earlier, at least two clear working days, even though they're not working, to be able to prepare themselves. And what would they do when they receive that? Then they've got to work quite feverishly hard to put their defense together. I recommend to all employees that if they do belong to a trade union, they get to the trade union. Even though they can't bring the trade union in to come and defend them, you still go to the trade union for advice. Don't rely on your own advices. And you also don't go to one of the family members that pretends that they're practicing law. Rather go to the trade union. I'm a strong believer in that. But they can bring a shop steward with them. Only they can bring a shop steward, yes, if the shop steward is prepared to come in. Okay. So they do have that as a, as a fallback position, basically. They certainly do. And I would recommend it. Or you bring in someone within the company who understands the code, is going to be passionate about your case, and is actually going to listen to you and not get browbeaten by management, because there's often the fear factor where people feel that they, they don't want to be overzealous in, in defending a fellow employee because then they'll get picked on. And you've got to be careful of that as well because there's quite a lot of that going on. But invariably what happens is when an employee gets a notification to attend a disciplinary hearing, they then ask further particulars, further and better particulars of the allegations. In other words, you were rude to a customer. That's the allegation made in the notification to attend a disciplinary hearing. What does that mean? Well, no one knows what that means. Rude to customer. When? How was I rude? What customer? Should all that be in the original? It should actually be there, but okay. you find that 99% of notification to attend a disciplinary hearing, they don't have it. Sometimes the management don't even know when and who and what. They get a complaint from a customer and said that Michael Bagram was rude to them. And then the customer puts the phone down and they want to bring a disciplinary hearing. You can't because you need to give the particularity. I've got to come in there. I've got to defend my client at a disciplinary hearing. You can't bring most of them down to our attorneys, but we'll discuss that as well. But you need to be able to defend yourself. It's, you can't defend yourself about, against the indefensible. I was rude to a customer. Well, I might have been 19 years ago. Um, you, you, you know what yeah. I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that person needs. So that they would then go in there and they can go to a lawyer at that point. There's no nothing stopping them going to an attorney, a labor lawyer, and saying, I think this is, this is my career on, on the line here. They've told me this is serious. It could lead to dismissal. I think I'm going to spend a bit of money and go see an attorney. And I, I recommend it not because I'm an attorney, but because this is a, probably a valuable asset that you've got as your job. It's probably one of the, the biggest assets that you have as a job today. Yeah, what, about the other, what about the other side of the coin? What about the employer? Can they the have employer, an attorney? They can have an attorney and they do go to an attorney. They often go to an attorney to draw up the notification to, to attend the disciplinary hearing. They go to an attorney, I do this all day. I mean, can you attend the disciplinary hearing? I can attend it as well. And I can sit there as an advisor. I normally go in when they want attorneys, I normally go in to chair the disciplinary hearing, but then I don't know the facts on either side. So I go in and chair. And I know at Bagram's attorneys, we actually have a proper protocol as to how we go in and chair disciplinary hearings. And it can't be someone who's heard the story in any way. As soon as you've heard the story, you're biased. You've got to be totally you've objective. You've got to be totally objective, and then you're out. It could be another attorney in the firm who hasn't heard any of the story and would go in. And invariably, our clients get very angry with us because we quickly knock it down. If they say this notification is no good, there's not enough evidence here, all you've got as evidence is a failed polygraph. It doesn't hold in law, so cheers. 
this person's not guilty. And then our clients get angry, but that they know us by now. And they know that we're not going to recommend that someone gets dismissed if it's not defensible in due course at the CCMA. We treat every case as if it's going to be challenged at the CCMA thereafter. Every single case has got to be treated on that basis. So the employee then asks for the further and better particulars, and then that gets supplied. And then you've got to count, you've got to recalculate the days, because only after they've received the further and better particulars, then you've got to give them a further two days, at least two days, to prepare themselves. And then the employee will go and get all their evidence together and witnesses, and they normally then contact the person who's the contact person on that notification to attend the disciplinary hearing and say, I need to speak to the following people. I need to speak to Cheryl and Arthur and Mary. I need to prepare them for my witnesses, and I'd like them to be present at the disciplinary hearing. The company will then, on your behalf, go to Cheryl, Arthur and Mary and say, look, Michael Bagram, who's the accused here, wants you to come to the disciplinary hearing, and they can say no. They're not prepared to come. The company can't force them to be witnesses for that employee. They can't force them. They can say no. You'll see later on when they go to the CCMA, you can actually subpoena those people. So then we have the day that comes forward, and we have the company will have all their witnesses ready. Invariably, the companies prepare statements for the witnesses so they know what people are going to say beforehand. So you don't get a great big surprise when you put someone in the witness box and say, did you see Joseph taking the goods out in his haversack and goods that he hadn't paid for? And that's your prize witness for the company. And he'll say, yes, of course, of course, I saw that. And when he comes to the disciplinary hearing and he's now facing the accused employee, he says, no, actually, I can't remember. So normally what you do is you get them to sign a statement. It doesn't have to be an affidavit, just a statement to say, this is what I saw and this is what he took, etc., etc. So if we go back to that earlier case that we were speaking about of the Facebook, we actually looked at this because I ran the case for them at the CCMA afterwards, and I said it would be very valuable for us to get statements from everyone who saw the, the Facebook listings, people who were shocked, people who thought that the management then were lowered in their esteem, that sort of thing. Let's get all these statements so people don't come afterwards and say, actually, I can't remember, or maybe I didn't see it, or I only saw it after the fact, or something like that, because you very get very embarrassed at that point. So the employee would want to speak to people who actually are going to face up to coming to the disciplinary hearing, first of all, and not chicken out at the last moment, and also people are going to say what the employer wants them to say. So that you would know beforehand. So to anyone preparing properly either side, preparing properly their witnesses, would speak to them first, because invariably you have very strange, uh, and I find it often that people are very strange, they say, I'm calling Joseph to come and be my witness. They've never spoken to Joseph. Joseph doesn't know why he's coming, and they don't know what Joseph is going to say. <laughs> so, they always and, say that you should never ask a question that you don't, don't know the answer that's to. A, that's a good mm -hmm. lawyer. Mm. A good lawyer only asks if you know exactly what he's going to answer. Uh, and so I... Carefully, I've learned that, and I carefully would speak to people beforehand and say, is this wall that I'm pointing at now, is it white? He would then answer me, yes, it is white, and I'm saying, are you sure? And he said, yes. I'd say, okay, I need you to write that down on a piece of paper. I'm going to call you to the disciplinary hearing to come and say what color it is. So that I'm not going to ask him a question, and he's going to say, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's a it's bit greenish. <laughs> yeah, so... 
um, the bottom line mm. is you've got to be absolutely mm. sure. You can't call a witness to come and defend you either in the CCMA or in an arbitration or in a disciplinary hearing and that witness then says something that you don't like and then you start arguing with your own witness. That obviously happens, which and is why you're happens, bringing it up. Yeah, it's it happens <laughs> so often and it's embarrassing for the person on the other side saying, well, I've got no questions for this witness. It's an absolutely <laughs> you're wonderful doing it yourself, yes. Yeah, so you've you got to be very careful about that. And there's lots of rules of evidence that obviously a layperson is not going to understand and that's why I recommend that both companies and employees go and speak to their respective representatives beforehand and both of them can go to outside lawyers to prepare them for this because this is a mini court case. It's starting to and sound like that. It, it is like that, unfortunately. There have been many cases um, where the judges have said it doesn't have to be a mini court case. But if you want to be sure that your evidence is properly put, make sure that you know the rules of the game. If you want to play cricket, make sure you know the rules of cricket. And you're in a cricket match here. There come complicated rules. Yes, a bunch of kids on the street corner can say, look, here's some wickets, here's a bat, and here's a ball, and let's go play cricket. But this is serious stuff. This is your job online. Rather, let's get it right, and let's make sure that if you're getting defense, that you get the best defense you've got. Or if the company's prosecuting this disciplinary hearing, that they prosecute it properly, that they don't find at the end of the day that their human resource manager is sitting in a witness box at the CCMA and they say, why didn't you allow the employee to ask some of the company, the company's witnesses? Why don't you invite them to say, have you got any questions? And you can't believe how many human resource managers are saying, well, we completely forgot. Now, that bastardizes the entire process. It's called fruit from a poison tree because mm. you can't then pick that fruit and eat it because the whole tree is poisonous. This is starting to sound a whole lot more complicated than I'd originally thought when I said, let's talk about disciplinary hearings. Yeah. You, sort of, you sort of imagine the management and the employees sitting down and discussing things, but it's all that, those, that, those technicalities and those points of legal importance yeah. that I don't know, with, as you're saying now, not everybody is aware of exactly what they're supposed to be doing. No, they're not. But, you know, once you think it through, it becomes quite simple and it becomes obvious. It's obvious well, that a person not to everybody, Michael. I'm still a bit confused. Well, <laughs> let, me, let me put it to you this way. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that watch television and they watch these American soapies about um, oh, I love law, dramas, law, yes. law and drama mm. and all that sort of thing. And you often see this and it starts falling into place that it's obvious that if the company's bringing a witness, that witness should be examined by the employee. It should be tested. The evidence should be tested. But how often do we see it where we're looking at the transcript of this disciplinary hearing, and I like people to tape these hearings as well, and you find that the employee was never invited to ask any questions. The company leads the witness. The witness gives his or her evidence. The chairperson then says, I want to ask you a couple of questions to explore uh, what you're saying is the truth. And then the chairperson asks the question, and they say, right, have you got your next witness? And everyone's forgotten about the poor employee who's sitting over there and to say, well, you know, haven't I got a say? Now, invariably, employees don't put up their hand and say, haven't I got a say? They don't want to irritate anyone more than they've already done so. So normally you've got a meek and mild employee sitting over there, unless, of course, there is a shop steward present or unless that person is prepared or if they listen to SAFM well, and they yes. listen to this program. So they know that one of their key rights that they have is cross-examination. 
I, I really like the idea of the template story, especially for the employers, so that they would start off on the right foot, that they would start off telling the employee exactly what they need to do and what they need to know, and all the information is in one place, and Correct. hopefully you won't miss anything. Well, let, let's make an offer then to the listeners that are listening tonight, and we'll say that if anyone emails you asking for a copy of that template, we'll send them one. No cost, oh, we'll Michael, send them you. <laughs> You're going to be very busy this week. Yeah, but no, it's, it's important to do that. I'll tell you why. Because if they come to me one day and they say, well, we need to defend an alleged unfair dismissal, I will then say, well, did you ever send that template to that person to invite them to the disciplinary inquiry? It's a simple template. We've got them on computer we can merely push a send button and send it okay to well if you want to take advantage of michael's generosity you can just drop me an email to law at safm.co.za and uh, we'll uh, send you one by return mail right okay so where are we now michael so we've where we are we've the person is sitting at the disciplinary hearing now they've got the notification they know exactly what they're being charged with and then what happens is and we're using criminal language but there's nothing criminal about this it's done on a balance of probabilities the chairperson then reads out again a checklist of rights and duties. In other words, so that you can be absolutely sure the person is in fact invited to come and say that I didn't do it or I did do it. That the person is again advised that are you happy that you've got the defense that you want to have? That you're happy that you've had time to bring your witnesses? Are you happy that you've got all the evidence that you try to get from the company before? And so the chairperson would then go through his, his or her own checklist once again just to make sure that everything's done properly. That because that chairperson might land up as a witness as well when the employee afterwards says, I wasn't given a fair hearing. And invariably employees do say that. If they've been dismissed, you attack the whole process. You attack the procedure and you attack the merits of the case. In other words, I didn't do it. I was in Honolulu at the time. And also they didn't invite me to bring any witnesses. And invariably you see it. You, you see a notification that says bring your witnesses. You hear on the temp you see on the template bring your witnesses. You hear at the disciplinary hearing the chairperson again saying, are you sure that you had time to get your witnesses, contact them and bring them in to be here? And you'll hear the employee saying, yeah, I did try to get hold of a couple of people, but they weren't keen to come. Then afterwards at the CCMA, they're saying the company didn't allow me the opportunity to bring witnesses. Then you say, but hold on, here are the documents, here's the transcript, and here's the chairperson who's now coming to testify that I actually invited you to bring the witness, and you said that they invited them, but they didn't want to come. So then you can dispel all those... Uh, little th little glitches that you have at the disciplinary hearing. And there's lots of secrets to mm. how it should be done. Um, what we do is we actually prepare companies before they go to the CCMA as to what they have to bring up in terms of an allegation of an unfair procedure. Then what happens is the company bears the onus. They have to start. And normally the chairperson explains to the employee, I'm not letting the company go first with their witnesses, because I like them better, or because I'm favoring them, but because the law says that they have to discharge an onus. They have to show that there's some, some allegation, that it exists something against them. So the employee then would rebut that evidence by saying, I've now heard you, clearly it's wrong because of the following. So a company then starts first, and you let the company's witnesses go one by one. Another thing is, and what you must always remember, 
You can't let the company's witness all sit together and listen to each other. You must say to them, go out of the room. We're going to have the first witness come in and tell his story. The employee or his representative is going to then cross-examine that witness. Then that witness will be re-examined by the company to say, you know, something that I couldn't understand or confusing in some of the answers you gave. Can you re-explain it to me? And at the end of that, you then ask that witness to excuse him or herself and leave the room. You then bring the next witness in and let that witness tell a story and why. Because you don't want the evidence to be tainted by the first person because you listen very carefully to what the first person says and you're going to agree. But wouldn't they have spoken before that? Yeah, well, that, that's, that's fine. But you don't want them, because you know, they wouldn't have spoken enough to know what the questions will be. Oh, right. Okay. You know, there's that famous story where the four students are going off to university. Oh, yes, I love the story. <laughs> I love it as well. Where they're going off to university and they decide that they're not prepared for the examination. And they're on their way to WITS and the car breaks down or their so-called breaks down. And they come the next day to the professor and they say, look, our car broke down. We had a flat tire. So we couldn't come and write the exam, but we're ready to write it today. The professor puts him in four different rooms, and he goes to each one, he asks one question to destroy their story entirely, and the question is, what tire burst? Yes, I <laughs> and they're going to get it wrong. It doesn't matter how often they prepared the story and, and, and organized it, they're going to get it wrong. So again, you put all the witnesses outside, and you bring them in one by one, and you can prepare yourselves like, it's like clockwork. Witnesses, if they're lying, something's going to come out. We had a famous law professor at Rhodes University, where I was, who always used to say that truth is like oil. It comes to the top of the water eventually. Um, so it depends. If you believe it's untrue, you've got to keep cross-examining until the, the oil comes to the top. But the truth is going to come to the top eventually. And it doesn't matter how well prepared your lie is, it's going to happen. It happened with O.J. Simpson after his trial when they came to him and they said... To him, you know, we want to interview you, we, we're really shocked, and the whole world is shocked that you were found not guilty, how do you feel about it? And he said, no, I'm also shocked. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, he got just, his justice was served on him a little later, yeah. though, but yes. But the point is, they could prepare him for the trial, mm. but they couldn't prepare him for the question that came thereafter. That, so the bottom line is, then you get your witnesses to testify, you cross-examine the witnesses, the employee then has a chance to give his evidence or her evidence, and then their, their witnesses come in one by one, and the employer then cross-examines the employee's witnesses. After all that, the chairperson then makes a recommendation, not a decision, because the chairperson is not the employer. Only the employer can fire. All the chairperson says is, I've heard the evidence from the employee, I've heard the evidence from the company's witnesses, and I recommend, on a balance of probabilities, that this employee is guilty. If he says not guilty, then that's the end of it. You all pack up and go home, and the employee goes back to work. If, however, the chairperson says, I recommend guilt, you then go into the second stage of that disciplinary hearing, and this is often where management fall apart. They forget about that second stage. The second stage is where you're going to make a recommendation of punishment. It could be a, um, an oral warning. Don't do it again, naughty. It could be a written warning. Don't do it again, naughty. It could be a final written warning. Don't do it again. If you do it again after this, you're going to get dismissed at another disciplinary hearing if you're found guilty. Or it could be a dismissal, and it's again a recommendation comes from the chairperson. 
They're going to hear evidence from the employee and the employee's witnesses on mitigation. How sorry they are. They're breadwinners. They've got four children. I've been here for 19 years. Remember the famous case with the supermarket where the woman did come in and steal the chocolate? A famous case where she stole the chocolate one morning while cleaning at the supermarket. I think it was a pick and pay case. And there were signs all over the place that theft equals dismissal. And they had been given lectures on this and whatever. And she stole the chocolate, ate the chocolate, got caught on the camera and was dismissed. And what went wrong in that case was the mitigation and the aggravation. What had happened was she'd been there for 19 years. She was a diabetic, hadn't eaten that morning, had a clean record. The chocolate was only worth three or four rand. So then you've got to look at that mitigation carefully. As a chairperson, you must try and drag out of the employee all the mitigatory factors as to why a dismissal is not warranted in these circumstances. And you must explore that very carefully. And that's a, very, it's a duty as a chairperson to explore the mitigation and to drag everything out and make sure that it's there, that you, it's part of your knowledge. That, yes, I know that this person has been there for 19 years. Yes, I know that they've got a clean record. But wouldn't that have come out in the first he of he of, of the, of the It should come out in the disciplinary hearing okay. as the second stage of that discipline. Well, I'm saying, but shouldn't that information have been brought out as mitigating circumstances no, no, in the no, first no. hearing? At the first hearing it is at the disciplinary hearing, but it's the second stage of that disciplinary oh, hearing. Oh, I see, okay. You would have first a guilty finding. Once you've got guilty, then you say, right, what's mitigation? You haven't got any any blemishes on your record. You've been there for 19 years. That doesn't stop the guilt. If you've had a clean record for sober driving for 50 years, and then one night you just get yourself horribly drunk and then go off driving, they're not interested that you've got a clean record for 50 years. Only afterwards, when the magistrate has now found you guilty and he now wants to punish you, he will then weigh that up and say, look, I know that you, you've just had a very bad shock about something. I know that you never drink, but you went and drank that night. I know that you've got a clean record and a clean license for 50 years. So that's the second stage. It's the second part of that hearing. So what happens then is that you would then hear aggravation from the company. They would say, yes, but I know you've been here for 19 years, but we've just brought out a policy and you read about it yesterday. Do not steal chocolates. Yes, it's fine to tell us that you're diabetic and you're feeling weak. But all you had to do was after you ate the chocolate, bring the piece of paper to management and show them and say, listen, I did this because I was weak. Don't keep the piece of paper in your pocket for the whole day and not tell anyone. We've also got a clinic at the back of the shop where you could have gone and sat down there and said, this is what I'm feeling. You can't just do that, and that's aggravation. That we've set up a whole process to try and sort out these problems, and you've now bastardized that process. So that aggravation and mitigation would be heard. After hearing all that evidence, the chairperson then makes a decision. I'm going to recommend dismissal. And also in recommending the dismissal, I'm going to recommend that you refer it to the CCMA within 30 days hereafter if you're unhappy with my recommendation. Or if there's an appeal process, I'm going to recommend that you lodge your appeal if you're unhappy with either the process or the findings, then lodge your appeal within four days in terms of our code. And you must do it in writing and they tell you what to do. So you can't afterwards say, well, I didn't know. 
Now that seems to be the whole sort of common thread here. As long as they are being told in advance, it can't come back Correct. and bite you Correct. as an employer if you are keeping your employee Absolutely. informed all along the way. Absolutely. And you must remember that when you want to attack a dismissal, you're looking for every angle to attack it. And an employer has to look for every angle to say, yes, but. I know that you told me that you can't do it and you didn't know that you could do it, and you've only come now and you found out it's, I know it's 90 days later, but here it's written in front of you. Yeah, I told you. I said to you, please, if you want to appeal, do so in four days in writing. Here's the appeal form, and you hand it to the person then. So you've got to be absolutely sure that what you're doing is going to be something that is challenged at a later stage, and then you can rebut it. And employers, I think, from what you've been saying all evening, Michael, is that employers mustn't assume that employees have read the handbook, have read the disciplinary hearing codes. Mm. Don't assume anything. You assume nothing. Assume Everything's nothing. going to be in writing because <laughs> you're then going to have eight pieces of evidence that you're going to hand in at the CCMA afterwards when a person challenges an unfair dismissal. They're going to come and say the procedure was bastardized from beginning to end. I didn't know why I was there. They fired me without a hearing. You hear all these allegations and you think, well, maybe I'm living in cloud cuckoo land because I went through all this process and this person's forgotten. Um, I went to a, a CCMA hearing only two weeks ago where the employee made the allegation there was no disciplinary hearing. And we were in the disciplinary hearing for two days. <laughs> all, all properly done. Maybe so, you were just dreaming that, Michael. Well, I don't know. You know, you, then you start feeling that you are in Alice, Alice in Wonderland, and <laughs> you you're floating down the hole. <laughs> that hole, and you're looking at little things going past you, and none of this is real, and none of it is true. But unfortunately, commissioners at CCMA have to look at all the evidence that put in front of them, and once they've looked at all the evidence, then you, that person who's making the allegation, will have shoot themselves in the foot, because they're going to then lie. They're going to say, I wasn't allowed to ask any questions. You bring one of the witnesses in and say, did the employee ask any questions? He says, yes, we sat there for two hours while he asked me questions. Then the commissioner will open his or her eyes and say to that employee, you told me that you weren't allowed to ask any questions, and here we've got the witness saying that he was asked questions for two hours. Am I to believe anything you say at all? So you would shoot your whole integrity by making an allegation of that nature. So disciplinary hearings are there specifically to protect the rights of the employee. That's why they're there. We're not going back to the old days where people used to say, you fired. They're saying those are the two words that made America famous. Oh, Donald Trump's very good at that. Yeah, but that doesn't work in South Africa. It can't work. What can work in South Africa is this whole long process that I've described to you now. That means that if you follow it, you do it properly, you will then get to the truth of what happened and you will give a person the right to have a say. We have a, a phrase in Latin, in our law, and we still follow it. It's audi altrum partem, let both sides be heard. It's still the golden thread that runs through our entire law, all law. Let both sides be heard. And in particular in labor law, you have to ensure that the employee has been heard and tested. And you have to ensure that the employee has heard you and tested you. So both sides must be heard and both sides must be tested. And if you can't 
say in the cold, glaring light in a witness box that what happened to that employee was fair, and I would be quite happy if that's the way I was treated in a disciplinary hearing, at that point you can then properly defend that company. But that's the other thing about what you've been saying. You, you say that it's there for, so, to make sure that the employee's rights are upheld. But if the employer does everything by the book, they are also then going to be in a better position. Absolutely. It's not there to, to put the employer down. Mm -mm. They are both going to score if it's done properly. Of course. And we've, we've built up over the years in South Africa through judicial experience. We've built up a proper process where both sides have a proper hearing and it's done properly structured where no one afterwards can say but gosh I didn't have a say this happened to me out of the blue and I've been treated badly or a person can't come forward and say this comes as a shock to me it can't be a shock if you've heard 12 witnesses all come and say I saw you walk out with the chocolates because there's no shock anymore um, invariably we have cases where people come to me and say listen this is cut and dried I've got a video of them walking out of the stock. It's cut and dried. I always say, no, but hold on. We need to have the disciplinary hearing, first of all, because the law calls for it. And second of all, so that the employees can tell you why they were walking out of the stock or whether it was them. It could have been his twin brother that was walking out with a tog bag that looks exactly like his, even though you don't employ the twin brother. Let him come forward and say, I've seen the video as well. It's not me. And I want a third party to say that it looks like me. So people afterwards don't come forward and say, I didn't have a chance. This was a cut and dried case. There's no such thing in our laws, cut and dried. It's got to be, there's no finish and claw, <laughs> to quote one of our police uh, heads. So my, my strong feeling is that it, although it sounds like a big encumbrance, I think it's very good to do. I think it's the right thing to do. But more important than all that, the law is going to test it. And if you haven't followed that procedure, then you're never going to be able to win your case against an employee who brings you to the CCMA and makes that allegations that I haven't been fairly dismissed. My thanks once again this evening to Michael Bagram. He's the practicing managing partner at Bagram's Attorneys Labor Law Specialists in Cape Town. And he's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And if you'd like to contact me, you can do so via email on law at safm.co.za. And you can find the show on Facebook. Take a look at Law on SAFM. In next week's program, we'll be taking a look at all types of leave as well as workmen's compensation. That's the Law Report next Monday, the 30th of December. And don't forget that on the Facebook page, there are a list of documents that are available for you. So if you'd like any of them, drop me a mail or post something on Facebook. Please include your email address so I can send the documents to you. And um, there's lots there for you that you might find helpful. I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with Health Matters. So join me then. But time right now for some late night music.